Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Disrupted Workforce Podcast, a show focused on how disruptions such as the pandemic, AI, and emerging technologies are reimagining work, skills, and purpose in 2021 and beyond. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts. Our mission is to help you navigate these challenging and dynamic times with humanity, actionable insights, and honest conversations with experts in their field. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to rate and review the podcast. Alex and I had the privilege of catching up with Erica Keswin, best-selling author, awesome podcaster, and top consultant focused on critical human skills and bringing your human to work. We dive into her important new book, Rituals Roadmap, discussing the definition of a ritual, how rituals ground us, improve our mental health, and serve as a superpower for companies building a strong, psychologically safe culture, which you all know is near and dear to our hearts and work. We loved how Erica makes rituals practical, deeply human, and even shares some stories about how we use rituals in our own families. So enjoy the episode, have fun creating your own rituals, and let's get to it. Today, we'd like to welcome our guest, Erica Keswin. Erica is a best-selling author, speaker, and founder of The Spaghetti Project, a roving ritual devoted to sharing the science and stories of relationships at work. She helps top businesses, organizations, and individuals improve their performance by honoring relationships in every context with an eye toward the human touch and a digital world. She was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 coaches in 2020, as well as one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches in 2020. Her first book, Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World was published in 2018. And her second book, Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic, was just published in January. Both books are Wall Street Journal bestsellers. And last but not least, Erica launched a fantastic podcast last year called Left to Our Own Devices. And this is really focused on what does it mean to be human at work, at home, and in life, which of course is a topic that is near and dear to Nate and myself here at the Disrupted Workforce. So thank you so much, Erica, for joining us. We're super, super excited and honored to have you and beyond thrilled to dive into this rich discussion of your work. Great. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. So let's dive in with right out of the gate. How do you define a ritual? That's the focus of the new book. And if you can, give us a practical example of, hey, this is a ritual in life. This might be a ritual at work. And do we even have rituals beyond that, you know, in the community or more broadly? Great. So there's three parts to the way that I define ritual. You know, the first is, is that a ritual is something to which we assign a certain level of meaning and intention. The second part is that typically with rituals, there's a, there's a regular cadence, there's repetition, whether it's once a week, once a day, every morning, um, once a year, I did something on MSNBC around inauguration rituals, right? So we know that cadence is once every four years. And then the third part is that a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. And so, you know, what do I mean by that? You know, I'm sitting here in my apartment in New York city, and if the lights were to go out and I were to light a candle so that I could see, you know, that's not a ritual, but Mm -hmm. if I light a candle every afternoon, you know, early evening to signify the end of the work day and the beginning of my home day, um, and I, I do it every day at the same time, and there's meaning and intention to really help me shift my mindset, that's a ritual. And for the record, many people these days are creating these transition rituals or these faux commute rituals because they realize that, that, that something's missing since we're working and, and living in the same place. So I'm sure okay. we'll get into things like that, but that's a definition of a ritual. Um, and you know, there's a lot of science around you know, why are we even talking about rituals? You know, why should we care about rituals from an ROI perspective, um, both personally and at work? And I came up with with something called the the three Ps of rituals, um, which is first, rituals give us a sense of psychological safety, a feeling of connection, 
They give us an opportunity to connect to purpose and values, our own or the company's. And you add those two together and you get increased performance. And again, happy to share more about what I mean by that. But that's why we're even talking about rituals at work. Yeah. And then, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, and the last piece of your question is, you know, an example of rituals at work. I looked at it around the employee experience. So in the book, I have examples of rituals around onboarding and meetings and eating together, you know, yes. in person or remote and professional development. So happy to dive into any of those. Um, specific examples, but it gives you a sense of the of the structure. I would like to grab the three P's right now, just because psychological safety is sort of an abstract concept. It's it's while it's old in terms of its uh, Amy Edmondson coined the term in 1999, but people only recently, and I think a lot of that had to do with other people lifting up the concept. Google's um, Aristotle research went really wide yep. with that. Um, but the question I have for you about that is. Um, psychological safety is an abstract concept. Um, how do you define it in terms of what, what does that actually mean? Yeah. To me, it's about being, being able to bring your, your whole self to work and not checking who you really are at the door, right. that, that you feel safe, you feel comfortable, you're in a meeting and you're willing to share your mind. You know, as an aside, some people will say, you know, bring your human to work. Really? Like your whole, whole human? My, my caveat on that is you're sort of most, your best self to work, your most appropriate self to work. So we, you know, we need to have some semblance of, of appropriateness given that we're talking about work. And sure. why does that matter? You know, the data shows that people that work for high trust organizations, organizations where they do feel psychologically safe, people are 47% more collaborative and 50% more productive. So not only do we feel better, I mean, as humans, because, you know, it's exhausting to be somewhere where you feel like you're, you're putting on an air and you're pretending to be someone that you want, but it actually has real implications on the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the difference between a mask, wearing a mask and pretending, or it's safe to speak up, it's safe to ask questions, it's safe to challenge ideas, it's safe to try new experiments. And, and uh, I mean, the, you and me, we all know that's a very different way to live and feel and be on a day-to-day -day basis. So thank you. Yeah. Well, you say the word mask, that takes on a whole other kind of connotation right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, actually it does. Yeah, we wear masks every day. But in, in, in a way, that's kind of interesting. Even my wife loves um, Hoda, right? And Hoda was telling yeah. a story about walking through, I think it was a Whole Foods, and not being able to recognize people that she otherwise knows because of this mask. And I think it's just interesting, the parallels right there. Yeah, 100%. Erica, I'd love to ask a little bit about workplace rituals that might feel outdated. You know, sometimes there are rituals that have been left over from a previous regime or management team. I think we've all seen rituals that worked pre-pandemic and that no longer function in the same way. Mm -hmm. How do you know when a ritual has outlived its usefulness? Yeah. So even before COVID, you know, I thought about these issues as it relates to creating a human culture, inclusivity, um, I think if we're not intentional about our work practices and, and our rituals, it actually could you know, undermine a lot of what we're trying to do. So my advice for companies is to look through the lens of your, of your company values to figure out if rituals are, are serving you, because ideally they're going to be aligned to those company values. You know, mm -hmm. in Bring Your Human to Work, I talk about how do we get the values off the walls and into the halls to mean something. You know, yeah. when I pre-COVID, I'd be out there speaking to hundreds of people at conferences and I would say, you know, raise your hand if your company has a set of values. You know, 99.9% .9 of the people raise their hand. And then I say, you know, lower your hand if you're not quite sure what they are or yes. they don't really mean anything in practice and probably half the people lower their hands. So when you're assessing anything in the workplace, especially these rituals, first I would look at it through the lens of the, of the values because it will help you, you know, help you determine that. Um, the other place to start is through that lens of inclusivity. So for example, if all of your rituals are, um, you know, around happy hour and drinking, you know, that's 
probably not the most inclusive way to do it because not everybody drinks or, and again, a lot of this is, doesn't even have anything to do with the pandemic. We should have been thinking about these things before. Um, If all of your rituals happen after five o'clock, you know, are you really valuing having people connect as humans? Because with technology, the workday has, you know, continued to expand and with COVID even more, there is no end. Right. So if this stuff is important to you, do it over lunch, do it in the middle of the day, you know, show that you, that you value it. And so those are two places to, to start. And the third is just more basic, which is, are you trying to do things and people just don't show up that rituals should not feel like a chore or a responsibility. It's more of a pull than, than a push. To that point though, um, there's this idea that culture is the output of leadership behaviors and leaders have to model the way. You can have a ritual, but it could be meaningless because it's perceived as inauthentic. Like you, you, you say to do this thing, but you don't actually even care. And sometimes you don't even show up. So I'm not going to do that if it doesn't actually matter. Right. A hundred percent. And then it's not, well, then I would say it's not a ritual. Um, you know, one of the questions that I stumbled upon, thankfully, when I was helping organizations figure out what their rituals are, um, because sometimes people weren't sure. Even when I talked about the definition, you know, they're like, well, could it be a ritual? I'm not sure. So the question was, for example, I interviewed Marisa Andrada, the chief HR officer at Chipotle, and I would say to her, so Marisa, when do employees at Chipotle feel most Chipotle-ish? And then there was this light bulb, you know, that I could, it was so clear. I could almost see it right coming out of her head, which yeah. was, I got it at 10 15 every morning at Chipotle before the doors open at 10 30, which as an aside, I, I don't, I didn't never knew so many people got burritos at 10 30 in the morning, but <laughs> I guess they do. Um, at 10 15, everybody stops in the store and they're done chopping up the lettuce and the chicken and making the guac. And they sit down and have what they call a family meal before the shift starts officially. And so doesn't feel like a chore. And yes, it's very much aligned with their values, but that's a way to vet, um, is it really a ritual? Would it feel weird if it went away? Would people miss it? Would they think the company mm-hmm. was being sold? And those are the things that have the sort of the stickiness of a ritual. One last I, question. I feel on, I feel the most Chipotle-ish when the when the guac hits the burrito when I'm right toward the end of the line. <laughs> it's like that's the point. It's like this is going to be really good. I love that answer. Go ahead, Nate. <laughs> I just have one last question on this: Is you know how um, traditionally people try to put something into HR, like oh rituals? That must be an HR thing, you know, and they try to shove it into the HR camp. The rituals lives independent of all that stuff, right? It, can, it maybe, maybe not. I mean, it could be integrated, um, but it but it doesn't have to be. You know, it's very individual. And when I'm speaking to also just companies that are very distributed and global, and there's different takes on things, it goes back to why thinking about this through the values are so great that everybody can kind of do things differently within their team. Doesn't need to be uniform. But ideally, there is this overarching connection. And again, it doesn't have to, but it, it, it's what makes your team feel the most like your team. It could be to- totally something out of left field, but it sticks and we've identified it and now we're celebrating it as a ritual. I love it. What is your ritual that you felt was the most meaningful? through one of the hardest years in history, 2020? For, for me personally? For you personally. Ugh, there's so many. Um, you know, there, I guess what I would say, you know, it's funny. My, I have three teenagers, uh, twin girls who are 18, and my son is 15. And one of the questions that I often ask myself, like big picture questions and with leaders with whom I work is, you know, does your calendar reflect your values? Mm-hmm. You know, and the values of your organization. And if we had, if we were having this podcast discussion a year ago, and I would and I and I thought about that question, I would say, you know what, I feel I feel like I'm not having enough family dinners. You know, my kids have sports, and everybody's all over the place. And 
you know, you read the studies. If you're, you don't have a family dinner, your kids are going to jail. So you always feel a lot of of guilt around it. It never felt like a ritual, but it felt like, not that I didn't love doing it, but there was all this pressure. So all of a sudden we're quarantined and we are in Connecticut and a couple of things happened. Um, the, the first thing is just, it goes, I want to share the beginning of it because it really points to the power of a ritual. Um, so we started quarantining on a Thursday and one of our family rituals is taco Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so the following Tuesday, you know, that's just what we do. It makes our family feel most like our family and I don't really cook. So those two things kind of go together. The tacos are easy. So we had taco Tuesday. My kids came into the kitchen and again, like the world is upside down. This, these are the days we were wiping down our groceries. Um, you know, my mom was really sick. She ultimately passed away. My kids were, one of them who goes to boarding school was home. Like their worlds and their older teenager, you know, are, were flipped upside down. They walked into the kitchen and could smell the Taco Tuesday. And, and this, this sense of, you know what? Like this, this is a ritual. This is something that we did pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I could literally see in their body language, like their shoulders that were probably up by their ears, like go down yep. and relax a bit to say, you know what, we're so scared. And even our parents are scared and we don't know what's going on, um, but we're going to be okay. Now, this sense of psychological safety. And so, you know, the idea of this family dinner, I've almost felt this, wow, this can become a ritual. Um you know, part of that was logistics, right? That we, that we were all there, but it, it, you know, my husband even started doing the cooking and it became something not only that we did every Tuesday, but we you know we did most of, most of those nights. So I would say that's been really the most meaningful, um, you know, for, for all of us. How's your husband's cooking game? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. I mean, look, I can't, I don't cook at all. So for me, other than brisket on Fridays and, um, mm. and, Taco Tuesday. So I'm not going to throw stones because if someone's willing to cook for me, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. You know, we have that family ritual as well. And it's something we also had pre pandemic, but we have little ones, right? We have seven and nine, you know, something Alex and I talk about a lot is what is happening to the family dynamic in this increasingly digital world. And our, uh, idea behind that was no devices at the table the ritual is to sit and be present for one another and have this interesting conversation about um, what's going on in our lives and in our families and with the kids. And, uh, and so that has been very sticky. And I think even, and you tell me if I'm right here, I think even a second part of the ritual is we always start it with gratitude every mm-hmm. single time. And it's just a simple thing. Like sometimes it's even one word, give me one word of gratitude and the kids yep. will say whatever they say. So all that counts, right? As a, a ritual. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and you know, it's, it's funny, especially with the kids working that and sometimes, you know, you get the eye roll and they don't want to do it, but you'll see when your kids are my kids age, they look back and it is oftentimes, you know, what they remember. And even, you know, during, and during the pandemic, I remember, um, uh, Cinco de Mayo was on a Tuesday this year. So with our Taco Tuesday, like we ramped it up and we made margaritas and we, <laughs> yes. let, the kids, we let the kids drink. And, nice. you know, so they'll remember, they will, they will remember these times. And it goes back to, that's why this, the work, you know, and what we've been talking about in my work around the human workplace and values and rituals, there's this overlap between work and home because you can think about this from the context of your of your family rituals, your team rituals, and and the overarching company. Yeah, I I really love the values piece in that comment you made just a moment ago about companies. Are they are you, are you matching your your values to your calendar? You know, are companies doing that? Are individuals doing that? Um, I, I just got married and my my Latin wife has a ritual that she's done every year on on Christmas Eve or or on New Year's Eve, depending. And uh, it's looking at the year ahead and setting sort of an intention, uh, 12 intentions for the 12 months of the year. Mm-hmm. And so I did this. We did this together. And then at the end of the year, you look at how well you executed against them and you burn the ones that you achieved and then you write new ones, but keep the ones that you know feel evergreen for the coming year. 
And uh, so I made this list and I review it every single morning right after my morning meditation and really think about these are the 12 things that I am trying to focus on this year as, as, and they, they all map directly to my core values. And it's been really, really helpful in terms of editing my calendar and my time. Yeah. So yeah, that sort of valid. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Being really intentional about time against values is um, it's been powerful me and a, powerful for me. And I love that you shared that. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, Erica, one thing you did say, though, I, I was watching a interview that you did and you said you have to be focused about your values. You said you can't have 12 or 15 values, right? You need to narrow it to something that, and to your point in a room where people start to go, I, I don't even know what the values are. They're on the wall, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, right. And so especially in, you know, for your personal values, that's one thing, but when you're running a company or a team, um, you, you know, you can't, I mean, who can remember them? I mean, I think the sweet spot is sort of three to six. Mm -hmm. um, and when you really start to push people on them from the workplace perspective, there tends to be overlap. There tends to be ones that are less important. And, you know, the, one of the, one of the examples I always think of was Uber when Travis, you know, the, the founder was running it and it, and mm -hmm. it imploded. Um, not only did they have 14 values, so who can remember that, but they were also values that really weren't incentivizing, you know, the best kinds of behaviors. So yeah, I'm really obsessed with values and, integrating them and really trying to push organizations to hone in on the soul and the essence and what really makes them them. Yeah. So Gallup, they did a year end, a December post, and they said, we learned a lot in 2020 because we experienced something that's never happened before where everybody was forced to go home. And, and so we've learned decades worth of information in a year. Right. And, and one of the biggest things was that people can actually be productive from home. And it just exploded the myth that you can't have a remote workforce. That's now yep. not even on the table. But I wanted to ask you, so um, you talk to a lot of people. Obviously, you've done a lot of research for your books. Uh, um, looking back on 2020 in, through that lens, what were some of the biggest learnings that were almost compressed a decade worth of learning into one year? Wow. Um, yeah, it goes back to how so many of these trends just were accelerated, um, overnight things that would have taken years and years to finally do it. And, and I laugh because someone said to me the other day, can you imagine if we had said to our employees, all right, we're going to do an experiment and we're going to have all of you go home for 10 months and see if our company stays afloat. Yeah. You know, and, and it just would have never happened. And, and so many leaders, you know, whether they would admit it or not, you know, there, there's, you know, the feeling of, of the FaceTime, not, not FaceTime on our phones, but right. Checking in, checking out. And, you know, if you have to, I have to see you to be productive. So I agree. I mean, this shift to a more outcome based culture, it's not fully there yet, but we have proven that we can do this because mm -hmm. we had to. And now the big question, which is why and I so appreciate you mentioning my podcast as well, that I'm going to really dig into in the next season, which is the hybrid revolution, is we've proven we can do it. The question is, how much of it do we want to do? And yep. that's going um, to be a really big question. So I would say one is, yeah, we've proven we can work from home. You know, two is what I alluded to a little bit earlier, which was the leaders who would say, oh, a lot of these concepts that you talk about are so touchy-feely. And then they found themselves, um, you know, leading from home and all of their people were home. And when you're trying to get your business done and, and goals accomplished and everybody's remote and you don't have a culture where people feel safe and comfortable sharing what's really going on in their lives um, so that the the boss, the manager can then help get additional resources, um, your business suffers. And so mm -hmm. that trend also really accelerated, which, you know, I didn't say I told you so, but I thought it um, a number of times <laughs> uh, to say, you know what, when people are home and you, you know, even just 
I mean, today's a beautiful sunny day in New York City. And there's no snow on the ground. But two weeks ago, we had a snow day, even though the kids were remote. Now, on the one hand, that's a kid ritual. And I was like, that's great. Like, why, you know, our kids should get to experience snow days. Maybe not Alex in Miami, but um, you get a not snow so day. Much. But, but here I am, like, not expecting a snow day, given that my kids don't go to school anyway. And if I couldn't feel, if I didn't feel comfortable sharing with my boss that my world has been turned upside down and I'm hiding it, yeah. again, not good for me, not good for business. So those are probably the two biggest things that I've really seen come to the table much faster than they, than they ever would have. Thank goodness. <laughs> A lot of what we're talking about really ladders up to these critical human skills and empathy. And, you know, you, you led with that intention in your 2018 book, right? Bring the human to work. You talked about these key shifts to the importance of connection being present, speaking in your real voice, and knowing when not to use technology. And so in as we look back on a year that flipped all that on its head with companies exploring hybrid and remote work, which you just alluded to is going to be sort of your next focus, in some ways it's harder than ever to bring your human to work because of these sh shifts. So when we're longing for humanity and more connection, you know, where do we go from here with this shift to, to more technology and more remote work? So I, you know, I talk about in Bring Your Human to Work, one of the chapters is called Finding the Sweet Spot Between Tech and Connect. Mm -hmm. And we need to, you know, leverage technology for all of its greatness. I mean, without it, I mean, we're in three different states, the three of us, and we have a, you know, clear internet connection, and we're all looking at each other right now. So the technology is unbelievable. But if this is all we did in our lives, you know, there's diminishing returns. Yeah. So we need to leverage it for all of its greatness, but also make sure that we put the technology, quote unquote, in it in its place and put it away. Right. So it's about being intentional. And, and I love the question because it, it gets exactly to the interrelationship between my two books, Bring Your Human to Work and Now Rituals, because rituals um, are a tool that leaders can use to make sure that we put that technology in its place. Mm -hmm. And so it could be that you make sure you go outside and take a walk in nature during the day to get off your technology. A, a leader at Facebook shared recently, she has a ritual called 20 by 20 by 20. Every 20 minutes, she takes a 20-second break, 20 feet from her computer. And so it's going to be different for everyone. But if we're not intentional, the, we all know this. The whole day can go by, and we haven't moved. We haven't got off the technology, especially now. So, you know, I, I mean, I even wrote about this two years ago. But to your point, it, it's, it's even worse now, and it's really not good for any of us to be to be sitting here in front of the front of the computer. So one of my tips that I often use to help people find the sweet spot is to really make sure that they're using a variety of mediums. Um, I call it, you know, matching the message to the medium. So we think about all of the mediums of communication that we have, you know, at our disposal. And I'm going to go the full range, A, because I'm feeling optimistic today and people are really getting this vaccine. And I think we're going to, you know, we're going to have some of these other mediums sooner rather than later in our, well, you're in Florida, Alex. So the year that's already happening down there. But um, we think about the range of, of mediums from instant message and text and email and Zoom, picking up the good old fashioned phone, walking down the hall, you know, to getting on a plane, which, you know, people are doing right now. So we can't be on Zoom. Well, we can, but it's not good for us to be on Zoom all day. And so what I urge leaders to do is think through whether it's your day or your week or your month, pick a meeting where your entire team needs to be on Zoom and they need to be, unless the, you know, unless there's a major emergency, turn on the camera because we need to remember there's a human behind the screen. But for other meetings, tell people maybe they can go out for a walk, put certain things on Slack. Um, or, you know, whatever technology you use, but think about different ways, leveraging different mediums to find those connection points. Um, and then you'll add these in-person ones when we can safely do so. 
But that's those are some of the strategies that I I use personally. And I'll share a really just a, a, of an anecdote that made me feel so good. It was this morning. Somebody actually heard me speak at something the other day about how I did the exercise of does my calendar reflect my values and realized I was having more family dinners now that I know what to do with. And my kids are begging us to go out for dinner or at least leave the house for dinner because they're sick of us. But I realized I wasn't seeing, like I, like I miss my girlfriends. I used to plan so many girls trips. And so now I have a ritual once a week with a friend of mine who lives in Colorado where we both just go for a walk. And I'm on my good old fashioned phone. She's on her phone. We're getting our 10,000 steps in. And this woman heard me describing it. And she had a meeting yesterday, you know, not with a friend, but with someone at work. And she said, you know, you know, do you really, do you need to show me anything? Like, do you need to share a screen? And the guy said, no. She goes, what about if we both went for a walk? And so she wrote this whole thing on LinkedIn this morning and tagged me and was so happy that she had put it out there. Again, not rocket science, cost nothing but made such a big impact on her and on him. Um, and so I, you know, these little things can make a difference. Bill, Bill Gates has really been one of the foremost folks talking about the importance of walking meetings actually recently. And I love the idea that you can also do a walking meeting on FaceTime. You can just get out and you can do that and you can have a shared experience that way. Um, I, I love what you said about, you know, the, the, the matching the medium concept and, one thing that has really concerned me is this notion of human downgrading for this younger generation that's coming up now. We've got more and more kids that are, you know, living in this fully digital world and may not value bringing their human to work because of uh, how pervasive digital is in their life. I think these communication skills that you're talking about are so paramount. And one of the things that we are in some ways, most at the risk of losing as this fourth industrial revolution takes hold. How do you think about creating face-to-face communication or upgraded communication as a value for younger generations or younger people in the workforce? I I would push back a little bit on that because I don't think it's just the younger generations. I think it's okay. every, everyone's mm. technology. I think that you know, we were all talking about millennials and eye rolling. Me, mom, the millennials were like 40. I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, but so, <laughs> 42. Okay, there we go. So, right, everybody was saying, oh, the millennials, they're the young ones, right? And, and so, and you seem to have good communication skills. So, I think that it's, I, I tend to get away from sort of, yeah, there's always generational, um, you know, themes, but, um, I thought it was so interesting that it was the younger generations that are begging to come back to the office. So mm-hmm. one would think, oh, well, they're digital natives, so they want to stay home and text all day. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones clamoring to get back into the office for a variety of reasons. Um, so I look at it, you know, and I, I mean, we're, we're all addicted to this. We get, I mean, the technology is designed to suck us in, to yeah, make sure. us. Addicted. Yes. You know, it shows my, you know, age, but you know, I had a Blackberry and I had the little red light when I had a message. And then I had two phones because I had a Blackberry and an iPhone. So I think that it, it's about leading, you know, leading by example. And I love the idea. I mean, I love your point about, yeah, if this is important from an organizational perspective, talk about it through the lens of those values that that we want to have strong communication and transparent communication, which for the record, the younger generations are demanding, which, which is amazing. Wonderful. Um, and the, the whole trend that the younger generations are, are pushing around purpose and how companies, you know, they want communication around issues related to things outside of what we used to think of as the little box of, of the workplace. Um, so, so yeah, I think that we all need to work on this together and doing it through the lens, I mean, I probably have a broken record, but doing it through the lens of values. And again, rituals can be a tool to, to help us, to help us do it, to say, you know what, in our meetings, we're going to have, we're going to go around and like a company I talked to last night did, you know, we have, they go around and talk about what they're grateful for. Um, when you're doing that hard to be multitasking on your phone. So the rituals really are a way to bring out this humanness and, and figure out the role of technology within that. 
So on that point, something that we're all kind of watching unfold is this, uh, we're breaking new ground into an increasingly digital world. And we know there's some concerns around it, ethical coding, are these applications making us addicted to them, et cetera. And there's this question of, uh, that's been compounded through the pandemic, which is, okay, now we're in this new space entirely. We're racing toward these new technologies that uh, engage with us in very different ways. We're increasingly digital. Now we're remote in a pandemic, and we know we're going to go back into some hybrid state, but we're not sure exactly what that's going to be. And it's going to be case by case basis on, on all the levels. And so you have to kind of start to ask, what does it mean to be human now? And um, how do we have that conversation? How do we keep the human, the whole reason for being in front of us, as opposed to uh, all these shiny bells and whistles? You know, to, I don't know if it's the idea of bringing human at work, if it's, if it's that much different than it was before. My hope is that there's new appreciation for connecting and, and, and especially when we can go back to the office, um, in, in person, but then I worry that all of this is short lived and we go back to some of these bad habits. I mean, if we mm -hmm. were having this conversation a year ago, what I would have said to you was, well, now it, well, this is a year now. So let's say a year and a half ago, um, what I would have said to you was, wow, I go into companies and people are calling into meetings from down the hall. They're texting each other in the next cubicle, yep. like over and over. And they're not, so they're not valuing this opportunity to walk to, to, to connect in person. Mm -hmm. So now it's all we want to do. You know, we can't wait to be able to do it. And so, you know, but I also want to be realistic because, you know, it's, you, we do forget. So my hope is that what, as we go back, we figure out ways to get people to remember how much we were valuing that human connection and figure out it's, it's part of this hybrid revolution, right? I think that we're not going to all go back to work five days a week in an office. Yeah. So maybe that a, a real positive that comes out of it is, I mean, this is sort of one of my hypotheses. See what you guys think. I mean, you, let's say you have a company and I don't need to go into a physical office to do my spreadsheets and to do my alone work. So maybe the role of the office will actually shift to when I go in, I go in to collaborate. Mm -hmm. to connect, to build those relationships with my teammates, because I know that we do better work when we actually know each other. And so I think that's what we need to figure out what those processes and protocols and what that looks like. I mean, I think that's the future. It is. And uh, it's a multifaceted conversation because I would say companies and leaders who are not being thoughtful and intentional are not having that conversation with their people they're in a box in their ivory tower going, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm the leader. I'll make the calls. Huge miss. And then I think companies that are being very thoughtful are repeatedly going back to their employees as this unfolds and say, saying, hey, what are you thinking now? How are you feeling? How's your home life? Does this make sense? You know, and when someone goes, I used to commute three hours into work and I have young kids at home, this does not make sense for me. And then there's this third layer of the conversation, which is, um, leaders looking at the cost of real estate and going, this is crazy. We're, we're spending a huge amount of money on all this real estate. Maybe we don't need to do that anymore. Maybe we can reinvest those funds back into the company in exciting new ways and, and into our people in exciting new ways and just move on from having these giant buildings in a very expensive location. Yeah. One thing that came up for me, Erica, and just sort of thinking about the way forward is you mentioned that you know young folks are very eager to get back to the office and i didn't i didn't know that there was a data point around that i'm thrilled you shared it because that's very cool and very interesting and i i was wondering if conversely perhaps uh people that are further along in their career are are less eager because they've been given this gift of all this crazy chaos family time and that and that staying at home even though it's you know, a little bit of a madhouse with all the kids and everything, you know, running around and the Zoom schooling, it's it's allowed a lot of folks to really reconnect in in a powerful way 
you know, with their families. And that's something they're afraid to lose in favor of, of spending more time with colleagues. It may be the push or the pull toward the family is, is, is the pull for, for mid, you know, mid-stage career folks. I think the older people want, I mean, I think everybody kind of wants both. The young people definitely want to go back. I mean, it's where you made friends and met mm-hmm. your future husband or wife, or it's your social outlet. And, and I mean, that's just, you know, they're all really missing that. But mm-hmm. I, I think at all, I mean, I think that ideally you have a little bit of time to do what you need to do and have some flexibility in your life. And, and you're also in an office. I mean, I think that for most people, if you were to ask them, they would love to figure out a way to have both. And that's what these companies need to figure out. You know, I have been thinking, you know, obviously a lot about rituals, but I do think that rituals protocol, you know, whatever we call them can provide some, some structure and some scaffolding, you know, let's say, you know, Alex, you go into the office Monday and Wednesday, and I go in on Tuesday and Friday, and maybe on Thursdays, that's the day where everybody goes in. I mean, that's for Mm -hmm. everybody's relatively close together. Or maybe if you're in regional hubs, everybody goes in. Um, We do benefit in terms of innovation, creativity, productivity, everything from that face-to-face you know, connection and relationship building. And so we just need to begin to figure out, is it, is it once a year for certain companies? I mean, a lot of the, the companies that are fully remote anyway and have yep. get yep. together once, you know, base camp, you get together once a year for these five-day retreats and build on those relationships throughout the year. It could be once a quarter. So everyone's going to have to figure out sort of that sweet spot between tech and connect, but we can't leave it to chance. We've got to be intentional or it's not going to work. I mean, in our weekly meetings, our weekly team meeting, the camera has to be on. There is always exceptions, but we need to see each other. Other times, no. And I I worry about companies that think, eh, you know what, we're going to, we're going to just go for it and see what works. And I think that will be a disaster. Yep. I think, so you asked a question, what do you think of my hypothesis? I think it reinvigorates your 2018 work because we're all longing for human connection. How do we start to get that back into the workplace? But to your, and, and using rituals to do that, but to the point of it's not going to look and feel like it used to. So now we're going to have to be even more intentional. And my um, idea for you is to consider how structure drives behavior. To your point, if you're an organization that isn't thinking um, intentionally, where you're putting in rituals and structures to foster this new normal, uh, it's not going to be sticky. It's not going to go well, and, you, and you're going to spin out and have to clean it up. But the um, companies who really do well are going to have structures that they're putting in, like ask anything meetings that happen on this day at this time with the leadership body, or you know, this company who goes, we eat together at 10:30 a.m. all the time because we want to be, or yeah, you know, like base camp ones. But I think even lifting those examples up of these are the structures that are working for other organizations because. A lot of people just don't know what to do. Yeah, well, that's why I wrote the book. I mean, it's a, it's, and even bring your human to work. I mean, they're both intended to be guides for leaders um, in design, I mean, for the rituals book and designing a rituals roadmap so that people feel more connected, which is good for people and great for business. So as a template, here's the ritual roadmap template. Start to plot your things right on it. I was talking to uh, FedEx and UPS in a, a CXO conversation. And they both said, um, we have been hiring like crazy because logistics are going through, you know, just getting packages from here to there is going through the roof. But what they said was, we're hiring all these people and we've never met them. They're digital people to us, you know, and and, in somehow, some way, we've got to turn this back into a human experience. Yep, 100%. I think related to that, Erica, you know, your, your spaghetti project has been bringing people together, a group of folks with a common interest for, uh, once a month for four years. Is that right? Um, yeah, for a lot, might even be longer than that. Um, although mostly during COVID, I was sort of reconnecting with groups that we had already met in person. You know, I just decided strategically given so many things that were going on that I didn't want to start new groups of people coming together virtually because the Spaghetti Project really is about coming together in person. We'll see what happens, 
But um, it's all based on a study out of Cornell that found that firefighters who eat together and are the most dedicated to that ritual of the firehouse meal, often spaghetti, um, it correlates with higher levels of performance. And those firefighters save more lives. And so it's like a goosebump moment for me as a workplace strategist, you know, something I really knew intuitively. And so it really goes back to what companies are going to do when we go back to the office and, and figuring out what are, what are those spaghetti moments um, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year. Do you think there's anyone that you look to that's doing any organization or individual that's doing a really fantastic job of community building online today? Yeah. Um, one company that they're in the book, but a lot of this, the second parts of it aren't in the book because the book was done um, and they continue to do so many great things, which is Horizon Media. Mm-hmm. And they have about 3,000 people and some really interesting pre-COVID rituals. But Bill Konigsberg, the CEO, shared with me recently that their employee engagement is higher than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And you know, through their, their surveys that they do. And part of it is he, he started a, this new ritual called the Bill Daily, which or some of the best rituals are organic and authentic and you just do something and it sticks. And he sent out an email to everybody, sort of not just talking about the business, that was a piece of it, but the, the stickier piece was the human piece, which was how he was doing and sort of words of wisdom. And yes. people were so struck by it. And this, I got such a laugh that he, he said to me, there were about, 35 or 40 people that had sent it to their parents and the parents were emailing saying, this is awesome. You know, getting to see a different side of, of your leader and, um, and a a human side. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the it's, he's been so transparent. The communication has been clear and direct and, and much more frequent that even though they're not in person, they feel more connected. And, you know, in addition, you know, one of his rituals pre-pandemic was he wrote, you know, he'd write 3,000 birthday cards and anniversary cards a year for his employees. And instead, he's been doing these calls. So if we all, the three of us, all had the same work anniversary, we would all be on a Zoom together and talk about cool, like, oh, I get to talk to the CEO on this Zoom. And so they really mixed it up. and, And, you know, he really does plan to keep many of these things that they've started during the pandemic. That's super cool. Okay. I want to ask another question in a different way. You've had these cool podcasts, you've had great guests and, um, surely someone stands out that you said this, this person was such a great guest because in the piece of wisdom I got was X, you know, what, what's something that stands out for you? It's like, I love all my children equally. (laughs) Said the mom. Um, You know, one of the ones that I was so excited that I was able to, and someone just emailed me the other day and said I had tears, like listening to this episode was with Ashley Peterson, my Starbucks barista. That was such a great episode. Awesome. Loved it part of my my whole origin story. And so for people who don't know, you know, my ritual is to go to Starbucks every day and I got to meet Ashley, my my barista because she's an amazing human and I really felt like she could write the book on customer service and how to connect with people and we had a really funny story about this pumpkin scone um, that my daughter at the time was obsessed with. And we just got to know each other and her, I, she met my kids and I met her daughter and she came to my book launch. And I talk about how people would literally like she worked um, at the Starbucks on 80th and Broadway in the Upper West Side. And then she got promoted to 88th Street. You know, I wasn't surprised given how great she is and how not only me, but many people on the Upper West Side would change their you know, commuting patterns to go north to see her and get their coffee from her before they went south, you know, to go to work. And, you know, now she is in Midtown. And so I don't see her as much, but, you know, being able to get to know her and, and her secret sauce of, of how she approaches her work. And I was able to, she wrote a letter and I was able to give it to Howard Schultz, you know, the founder. Wow. 
Um, and it just all really came full circle. And then I interviewed her again for the rituals book because Starbucks has an amazing ritual called the first sip. And so if, you know, something so basic, and again, these rituals don't have to be overcomplicated. And the ritual is, and I was able to talk to Ashley now, now she's a store manager for the record, nice. you know, starting at Starbucks when she was, you know, in, you know, in her late teens. And now she's a manager, which is just unbelievable, not surprising. And so when you work at Starbucks, whether you're the CFO or, you know, starting at the bottom as a barista, you go through this ritual on your very first day and you come in and you meet with your manager and they go through a coffee tasting and you try a few coffees and, you know, it's like the wine tasting. you, know, you sip it and you slurp it and you're, and they pair it with, a, with some food. And, you know, it, when you answer that question, you know, what makes, um, you know, when, you know, what makes Starbucks employees feel most Starbucks ish, this is for sure what people talk about. And there's actually a Facebook group for, for, um, partners at Starbucks, which is what they call their employees. And people will say, I will never forget my first sip where I had the dark roast Sumatra with the blueberry muffin. And this is what I had. Mm. And it's, um, it really brings tears to your eyes about how people remember that experience. And so Ashley was able to really turn the tables now that she's a manager and talk about how she brings new employees on through this ritual. Very cool. Great there's story. A, there's a famous quote. It said, most people will never remember what you said or did, but they will always remember how you treated them. Right, how you and them. and uh, that sounds like, like your friend Ashley to a T in the level of thoughtfulness that just stuck with you. And yeah. And folks listening, definitely check out Erica's podcast and for sure that episode. And you also interviewed Bill Konigsberg, uh, who you just mentioned, and that was a, a terrific episode yeah, as well. I really like that one too. Like I said, it's hard to pick. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Erica, thank you so incredibly much for joining us today. It was just amazing to, to interact with you, to pick your brain and the way that you are, are bringing this work to life uh, is very, very impactful for the working community at large and for corporate leaders. And um, clearly you're really making a difference and we're honored to host this conversation with you. Thank you again. Great, it's a great way to end the week. So thank you. Happy Friday, yes, thank you. Hey everyone, be sure to check out Erica Keswin on her website, ericakeswin.com. That's ericakeswin.com, E-R-I-C-A-K-E-S-W-I-N.com, where you can learn more about her, her work, the Spaghetti Project, her fantastic podcast, Left to Our Own Devices, and the two awesome books that she's written, Rituals, Roadmap, and Bring Your Human to Work, which you should absolutely read to take today's content to the next level. Thank you so much for your time, attention, and support today. It means the world to Nate and myself. And please be sure to rate and review the podcast if the content resonates with you. We can't wait to engage with you again and have a wonderful day, week, month, and year. We're in this together and we're here to help.